Hey, I'm Natalie Abbott. And I'm Vera Schmitz. We are sisters who host the Dwell Differently podcast. We help you memorize and meditate on one Bible verse every month. And all month long on our podcast, we talk about what that verse means, why it matters, and how we can apply that verse to our daily lives. Welcome back to the Dwell Differently podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Abbott, and today we're talking about Romans 12, 12. It's a beautiful verse. It's a verse about being hopeful and joyful and faithful in the waiting and in the praying and in the hoping. And so it goes like this. For those of you who are memorizing along with us, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And today we are talking about that verse, and we're talking about prayer specifically with Andrew Peterson and Doug McKelvey. Welcome, guys. Glad to have you guys here. Thank you so much, much. Natalie. Yeah. Just so you as our listeners know, Andrew and Doug have been working together on a project called Every Moment Holy. Doug has written now three volumes, and and Andrew, you kind of helped a little bit with the collaboration on that. And I know Rabbit Room is your publishing house that published that. And and then Andrew is a singer-songwriter. Uh, we are currently, my kids and I, finishing the fourth volume of the Wing Feather Saga. Wow. Don't tell me how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> We read it every night with the Creaturepedia in hand. Oh, that's so great. So for those of you guys with little kids, I mean, it is just a joy. It's so fun. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you. Uh, in fact, I'm, they're really excited. I told them that I'd be talking to you. And, and they're like, what? Are you kidding? That's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, it's one of the cool things I get to do in the world sometimes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we we're just excited to have you on and and um, just affirm so much the 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 beautiful things that you guys are putting out into the world. But you guys just finished putting out a new book, an Every Moment Holy, Volume Three. Doug, you want to tell me a little bit about that new newest volume and how is it that there are three volumes now of liturgies? <laughs> like where is all of this coming from? And maybe, maybe tell our listeners who don't know what a liturgy is. What is a liturgy? In the context of the Every Moment Holy Project, you could easily just substitute the word prayer for liturgy, mm-hmm. that these are, you know, our, our byline from the beginning was uh, that these are new liturgies for daily life, but they are new prayers for daily life. They are liturgical in the sense that they are pre-written. These are prayers that that myself and with volume three that dozens of other writers have have carefully and prayerfully thought through various subjects, parts of parts of everyday life, moments of of celebration, of frustration, of grief, of joy, of, of happiness, of sadness, and have have tried to craft prayers that would articulate what would be on the heart of a person as they were walking through that moment or that season of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to specifically answer your question, we made the decision to call these liturgies because one of the meanings of the word liturgy is those acts that we repeatedly engage in that become part of the rhythm of our life and that have shaping mm-hmm. power over our hearts and our thoughts and our theology. And in that sense, there are liturgies that can be constructive, that that conform us more to the image of Christ, that serve as means of grace in our lives. There mm-hmm. can also be 
liturgies we engage in, you know, rhythms of, of things that we do repeatedly in our lives that pull our hearts away from the truer story of the gospel and the deeper hope of the coming new creation and redemption of all things. So our hope was that these prayers would be taken by individuals, couples, families, churches, whoever might use them, that they would find certain ones that thematically would fit naturally into the existing rhythms of their lives. And that as they began to pray through these particular prayers repeatedly, that it would have that liturgical effect of in the moment, in the season, recalibrating the heart and the hopes of reorienting the individual toward their creator, toward a mindfulness of God's presence and of his spirit here always to work in and through and around his children as we yield our hearts to him. So, you know, that's probably the quickest overview I can give of of why we chose to use the word liturgy regarding these prayers rather than just calling them prayers. So our verse this month that we're memorizing has a lot to do with prayer and specifically, you know, that's that's one of the reasons we are so excited to have you here with us because I feel like you're sort of the prayer guru right now. <laughs> I mean, just to kind of borrow a word that maybe maybe we don't use in Christian circles so much, but the prayer priest who is kind of going before us. I like to think of him as, as the prayer the prayer Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. The prayer Gandalf. The, yes, with that white beard, definitely. <laughs> I'll have to grow it a bit longer. <laughs> and and I would say that your the prayers in every moment holy are sort of magical. Like they're just very creatively beautiful, and they they sort of meet you where you are in a way that feels familiar. I think sometimes when we think about liturgies, for anybody who's been a part of like a high church kind of upbringing they feel stagnant to us sometimes but these feel like like the things that i would say out loud that that would come out of my soul if i had the right words in the right moment to say the right thing so i think that they're very they're they're so drenched also in scripture they're just they become such a beautiful way of speaking the things in a better way than i would say them myself and yet still expressing the feelings and the emotions, the thoughts that I have in those moments, especially those moments when I don't know what to pray, hmm. you know, when when those prayers are are more difficult. And I think this Romans 12, 2 verse hits on that a little bit. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. There's this sense in all three of those statements that we're, you know, called to be joyful, called to be patient, called to be faithful. Of uh, There's a sense of like, not yet. There's a sense of like, a waiting, a wanting, a longing, you know, that, that that something isn't being met. And yet in those things, we can be joyful, patient, and also faithful. And so I would love to hear, as you think about this resource and as you think about written prayers in general, like how is that valuable to me as a as a person who who sometimes needs those words? Like I think sometimes when we think about liturgies, like I said, they feel stagnant to us. And yet how are they actually, how can they become something that is really beautiful and becomes kind of a, like you said, like a part of the rhythm of our lives? Well, I was thinking while you were talking, it's such a beautiful, simple verse, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's like a recipe that I'm, I'm like, ooh, I can, that's something I can hold on to, those three things. But you're right that it, there is a sense of expectation in, in each of those. And that sense of, the, well, I'll just say this, the, the thing that I really resonate with about 
the liturgies in uh, volumes one and two and the ones that Doug wrote in volume three too, is that there, there's a really weighty sense of the resurrection and the new creation that pervades all of mm-hmm. them. Every one of them in one way or another that I can think of is a compass recalibration. You know, like they, they all, in, in ways that surprise you, you know, that's the thing that I love about it is it's not just about, they give me words for prayers uh, when I don't have the words. What they do, they do for me too, is that they draw attention to moments that can be prayerful that I wouldn't have thought of as prayerful. <laughs> Does that make yeah. sense? So, yeah. you know, there's a, in volume one, the, the liturgies for diaper changing or mm-hmm. um, the lighting of the first hearth fire of the season. That's one that our family faithfully uses. Just a couple of weeks ago, we lit our first fire and and stopped everything. We we're like, we've got to get the book, and we sat there and read the book. Um, <laughs> but even in in those, uh, something like the lighting of the first hearth fire of the season, there's an arrow in that liturgy that points you to the coming, the wedding supper of the Lamb, to the new creation, mm-hmm. to the resurrection that we're all looking for. So I love the fact that they reframe our these moments as moments that are hopeful that are patient and tribulation moments that are, you know, uh, we're, we're reminded how important it is to, to keep, uh, stay in the lane and keep walking toward that new creation and the new Jerusalem, uh, in these moments. So anyway, that, that's the thing that where I see that the verse especially does that job of pointing us toward this good that is coming to us. And I think that that's one of the consistent threads in all of the liturgies in every moment, holy. It would probably be uh, appropriate for me to quickly tell the story, since Andrew's here, of how the project initially came about, because it it touches on on the things he was saying. I was working on a novel and had just been spinning my wheels for several weeks and wasn't wasn't being at all disciplined. Was was you know, <laughs> be, very disappointed in myself on a daily basis. Just I'm easily distractible and will do whatever is easy and fun before I'll <laughs> start working. So one morning, I just thought I need a prayer. Mm. I need a prayer. When I sit down to write, something that would recalibrate my heart, would reorient me in relation to my creator and in relation to the whatever talents I've been given to steward, and in relation to the people that I hope to serve by what I mm-hmm. might create if I actually was disciplined enough to make progress on something. <laughs> so I took half a day and I wrote a liturgy for fiction writers. And I sent it to Andrew, I think that same day, because I just thought, huh, we're about to do this session together at a conference, and it's about writing and story, and maybe this would be an interesting way for us to close the session, to have everyone pray through this together. And Andrew responded surprisingly quickly, and he said, yeah, this would be great, but man, I wish I had a liturgy for beekeeping. And he li- he named a couple other mm. things. And it was in that moment, just immediately, that I realized, oh, yeah, this isn't just a one-off right. novelty thing for myself. There's actually something in this in this model, in this paradigm, that could really serve the body of Christ in a number of ways. So I think within a half hour, I had brainstormed the proposal for, you know, what this book project might be. And it ended up, you know, not deviating from that initial just sort of, you know, aha moment. 
that Andrew had been the catalyst for the epiphany. Um, so put that on your business card, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, man, you have no idea. Epiphany <laughs> catalyst. <laughs> if I do nothing else in my career, this this will have been enough. I, I I'm thrilled that to be a tiny part of that story. My bees are thrilled too. <laughs> yeah, I told my bees about it, and they were just like deeply, deeply moved to have been a small part of it. They were like, and and now we have a liturgy. So finally, geez. Yeah, they they started producing fifty percent more honey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you guys. Okay, so before before we go down the rabbit trail uh, too far, I would love to sort of reorient a little bit our conversation to these three things that our verse says we can hold on to that like like you said Andrew that are just like these these beautiful hooks that we can kind of hang our conversation on today and and as we memorize and meditate on this verse even sort of that that what do we do in that not yet season? What do we do when when we're suffering from something that's an affliction? When we're waiting and we we we're longing for something. So I would love to just tackle each of these concepts a little bit. And I actually pulled a couple of little things out of your every moment holy liturgies because I think they're so beautiful in in kind of modeling for us. What does it look like to pray when we're in these kinds of situations? But that first little command actually is be patient in affliction. Oh, actually, you know what? I skipped one. Be joyful in hope. That's what we where we start. I'm like, wait a second, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> be joyful in hope, <laughs> which actually is funny because when you think about it, it, seems like it's easy, right? It's like, oh, of course, I can be joyful in hope. But if you think about it, you know what is hope if not not having the thing that you're hoping for? And so that be joyful in hope is actually kind of counter to what we tend towards when we haven't received the thing that we're hoping. So I guess my question for you guys is how do we wait with joy for the things that we don't yet experience? Well, I think with with each of those three things, the joyfulness in hope, patience in affliction, and faithfulness in prayer, that all of them are only possible to the degree that we have a real expectation that there is a redemption that we're moving toward, mm-hmm. right? That there, there is a king who loves us and who is returning to make all things right. And whether it's a small momentary kind of thing that, that we're experiencing, a grief, an affliction, a, a sorrow, or it's a long-term thing that we're going to be carrying for the rest of our lives, it's only to the degree that we remember and cling to the person and the promises of Jesus that it's possible to be mm-hmm. joyful when we don't have the thing that we so long for, or to be mm. patient in the midst of affliction, or to continue faithfully in prayer, in dialogue with God, right. that all of those things only make sense in the context of a relationship and an expectation that this is not the end. There's a line in a movie, and I I won't even mention the name of the movie because it's not one I would necessarily recommend, but (laughs) there's a character who is in love with this woman and her parents have promised her to be married to someone else. And Mm -hmm. so she's distraught and he's trying to comfort her. And he says something along the lines of everything will be all right in the end. And if it is not all right, 
then it is not yet the end. Hmm. And it was this sort of accidental but beautiful statement of the hope that we have in Christ Mm -hmm. and in the redemption that we cling to, that everything will be all right in the end. So if things are not all right, then it is not yet the end. We are headed towards something. We are headed toward that redemption and that new creation. I love that. I was thinking, I was just talking to one of uh, a young person who is newly married and talking to them about insurance <laughs> and how expensive <laughs> it is. And, uh, and just, and you know, the exasperation that these, it was like, wait, you have to pay how much a month? And it's, it's what, why is this system so broken? That kind of thing. Yeah. And anyway, it was sweet to see, but the, the fact is I was trying to tell that story as if it wasn't one of my kids, but now I'm realizing that the story only works if you know that it was one of my kids. Uh, but basically I just kind of said, you're going to be okay. Like, it's going to be right. fine because you know that no matter how bad it gets, you can always call me, like call mm-hmm. me and it's going to be okay. And uh, it reminds me of this uh, pastor friend of ours, uh, Russ Ramsey. I heard him say in a sermon one time, you have only ever had one provider. And I, I have said that to myself many times, like as a dad, whether it was financial provision that I'm trying to take care of my kids or spiritual provision or whatever it may be, this reminder that I, uh, it is not on me. It's like the Lord is the only provider. He has always been the only provider. And so that idea that you rejoice in hope to me is um, to live um, as if the ending of the story is already true. You know, mm-hmm. like right. you're, what would it mean for you if you had no money, but you knew that your father was a king and had untold riches? You would be fine. Right. You wouldn't be worried. You would you would be able to move through the world in your in your trial rejoicing because you knew that hey, I, I it's not on me that that the king has this fully in hand, and uh, and mm-hmm. so that that's what I think of when I I imagine rejoicing in hope. Like yes, I I'm sure my kid hopes that there will be a day when they won't stress out about making their insurance payment. But in the meantime, while you're figuring all that out, you're gonna be fine. You know, you can rejoice right. now. Because the end of the story is good, like Doug was saying. Mm, yeah, I uh, I love that. In every possible little place in our in our real life human experience in the world right now, in our insurance needs and in in every need that that we know the end of the story, right? Come what may, even if even if something really horrible and really hard happens in our life, and and we have this huge affliction that we have to be patient through, that we know the end of the story. And I think that that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. It reminds me of in your third volume, The Planting of a Tree, Andrew, that you wrote. And I want to just read part of it because I think it's so beautiful and it gives us this picture image of what hope looks like, right? Like this idea that when we plant a sapling, that there's a hope in that, that it's going to be this beautiful big tree. So I'm going to read this because I just think it's so well-written. I can amend this soil. I can water this tree in seasons of drought. I can protect its young bark from the antlers of the spring bucks, but I cannot make it grow. In you, Lord Christ, all things hold together. Only by the mystery of your loving imagination does your creation flourish. Only by your will does the world whirl on. Only by your grace will this living thing live. So I pray that you bring, O Lord, your loving imagination your will, 
and your grace to bear on this tiny thing, that it may rise in glory, bearing witness to your power, that it may lift its arms in praise, bearing witness to your goodness, that it may show its splendor, bearing witness to your loving kindness, that it may stand hushed in the first rays of dawn, bearing witness to your manifold mercies made new every morning. I'm like, I want to I want to pray that prayer next time I plant a tree. It's so beautiful and hopeful and it's grounded in the bigger truer story. Thank you for writing that, Andrew. Oh my goodness. That is going to be a new one. Even like we we planted a new tree last fall and so it's like a it's like a little bit older than a year now. And I can't not look at that tree every morning and just watch it grow. And it's right in our front yard. I even think, I'm like, this is going to be so beautiful for our neighborhood because it's going to be mm. red in the fall. And it turned red the first time this fall. And it was just like, yes, what a, what a brilliant thing to do. And it's like, even in those tiny things that we do as human beings, that we can participate in the beauty of God's creation and what he's doing. And, and then to have those words, right, to say mm. over them and to to then like move my heart in that way and, and give it things to speak that it believes but doesn't know how to say. So thank you for those words, Andrew. Well, man, it, it was an honor to get to be a tiny part of this project. And thank you to Doug also for being so patient. We were we were busy a lot this year and he, he had asked me if mm-hmm. I would specifically write that, a liturgy for the planting of a tree because he knows I love trees. And I finally sat down because the deadline was looming to write it. I'd been putting it off and putting it off. And I sat down to write it. And I I stared at the blank page and I thought, how in the world do you do this? Like I was, I I stared at the page for so long and I I made a few false starts and I I was like, how did Doug write a whole book of these? And then I I got out volume one because (laughs) at the beginning of volume one, Doug had written a liturgy for the writing of liturgies, which is early on in the Mm -hmm. book uh, that he would read. And I guess you probably still do when you're writing the liturgies. And I read that liturgy to invoke the aid of the Holy Spirit. Please help me find the words (laughs) that will be in the mouth of your people, you know, as they read Mm -hmm. this book. And I, I, so then I started flipping through the book and I was like, oh my goodness, Doug, how did you write all these? And then volume two, the death and grief and hope. And I just Mm. was stunned by the amount of head and heart work that would have been involved in putting something like that together. So anyway, I finally wrestled it into being, but it gave me a great deal of respect I already respected Doug in his work, but I was kind of in awe of it mm-hmm. after having written one tiny liturgy amidst <laughs> like 200 of them, you know? Uh, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, it was a privilege to get to be a little part of it. Well, you landed it well. Well, thank you. You for sure did. It was beautiful. All right. Well, let's, let's move on to patience and affliction. So that's, I think sometimes when we think about prayer, I guess when I think prayer, I think this first for some reason, that when things are difficult, we tend towards prayer, I think, more readily, almost like as a necessity that we can't not be praying because it's so hard, whatever it is that we're going through. And I think that that your second volume, Doug, really just tackles that concept so well death, grief, and hope. Why do we need prayers like like these? Because I think as much as, like I said, it's like the place we want to go when things are hard, I think sometimes it's the very hardest thing for us to actually do is to put words to those prayers. One of the most consistent comments that we've had from people who have used the books is that they find prayers in them that give them words when they have no words in a particular Mm -hmm. moment. And that sometimes the prayers 
name for them the things that they know are true as they speak them, but that they wouldn't have been able to name, especially in you know a difficult season like walking through a recent loss where you're grieving someone that you loved and you know that there's i think in in that way a prayer that someone has wrestled through the writing of it it can function in a similar way to a worship song that the songwriters have very intentionally and thoughtfully and prayerfully crafted this expression of the heart to god that on a sunday morning or whenever we might gather with others and sing that song it can so immediately become from the inside the expression of our heart toward God as well, or the cry of our heart unto God. So I think that that the, the Psalms as well give us that kind of model, that there are times when we don't have the words to make sense of our experience, but we can find in the thoughtful heart cries of the psalmists something that resonates with our own experience, with our own fears, with our own confusion, with our own doubts and questioning of, you know, God, where are you in the middle of this thing that I'm walking through? And then that reorientation of the heart toward, but I know you're, you're faithful. You've been faithful in the past. So mm-hmm. now I'm going to preach the gospel to my own soul and remind myself that God is still active, that he will redeem. So I, you know, with, with volume two especially, that, that is all about these seasons of affliction. And I think it's the patience that is required in affliction, it becomes a proving ground for the for the truth of what we might have previously abstractly claimed to believe, right? That's where we actually find out if the things we believe are strong enough to hold us mm. in the worst of times. If the if the hope that we've been holding mm-hmm. on to is real and substantial. And if when we feel like we're free falling, if there is this diamond hard foundation that the person of Jesus provides, hmm. that we actually find that that there's this firm footing that we believed in before, right. but we hadn't experienced it in that way. Well, I, I appreciate, Doug, you going there for us and with us, because I think that those are hard places to have to kind of dwell in and write about. And and like you were saying, Andrew, like to write a whole book full of those kinds of prayers, it just feels like an astronomical kind of ask for anybody to do that. And so thank you for putting that forward for the church. And I just think it's such an amazing project. But I want to tackle our our last concept here before we finish out, which is be faithful in prayer. And I think that that's, that's something of what we've been talking about this whole time, like prayers that are every prayer. Like I think every moment holy is an example of all the different kinds of ways that we can be faithful in prayer, you know, for all of the the parts of our lives. But I, I think it's particularly, you know, sometimes we have these impossible prayers that um not that they are actually impossible, but they feel impossible. They're a long term. They they're the kind of prayers that honestly we don't even want to pray sometimes because it, we feel vulnerable in them. Mm. Right. It's like, oh I mean do I even believe that God is going to do this still 10 years later, 20 years later? Is this even a thing? And so 
what would you say to somebody who is struggling through that long term, not yet all the time, kind of vulnerable prayer where you you kind of you, you know even as you as you pray that continued prayer, how do you be faithful in that? Man, the. Yeah, it, that's a hard one. My goodness, I've been there before. You know, where I'm sure we all have, where we thought had been plagued with the feeling of futility. You know, what I would keep asking for something that never seems to change. You know, I have in my prayer journal somebody that I've been praying for for 17 years over some physical, some health issues, and and their little changes here and there. But you're just like, why won't you just fix it all? You know, I, I can't mm-hmm. make sense of it. So all all you can do is keep asking. Um, the persistent widow comes to mind, the parable of the persistent widow. But I, I do think that the nature of my prayers has changed over those 17 years that I've been praying for this person, right? Like they've been, they've been tempered with, you know, there are times where let me, I'll just say this. There was a moment in church several years ago and, and in our church service, there's a time where the, the congregation is invited to add their own prayers aloud if they choose. And, you know, a lot of times people will just say praying for so-and-so, praying for peace in Israel, whatever, you know, and, uh, but there was someone in the church who was dying of cancer, I think. And somebody just said, Lord, what are you doing? Stop it. Mm-hmm. Like stop. She was shouting, stop it. And it was really mm-hmm. jarring to hear but also incredibly beautiful <laughs> that that to be reminded in that moment that we serve a god that that does not turn away the person who is angry and shouting in church and saying fix this please fix this so there's mm. n- nothing wrong with the shout you know the psalm the psalms shout plenty yeah uh, that said though um over the years uh, so i'm reminded of one of my favorite movies is uh, shadowlands with anthony hopkins about cs lewis and there's a moment where he's praying for his wife's healing and somebody mm. kind of makes fun of him about it like oh do you think your god's just going to answer your prayers god's just going to change his mind and and uh cs lewis's character says prayer doesn't change god prayer changes me uh which is uh uh, it's a mystery. I don't know how it all works, but there is a sense in which that that patience that if, if you patiently pray and persistently pray, you get to witness your own heart changing and in, in w- deepening in wisdom, understanding that there may be better things than healing. <laughs> uh, that God's presence and endurance um, is shaping. Yeah, you were endurance is is being shaped in a certain way. And, you know, somewhere else, Paul says, um, uh, what suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. There's a sense in which enduring through this stuff is, is one of the crucial ingredients in cultivating the hope that started this whole conversation. Right. Right. So the, the, the point is just that like I have, the older I have gotten, you know, I still do ask for specific things in my prayers, but I also, mm-hmm. That's not the only thing that's happening in the prayers, you know. There, there's a lot more mm-hmm. about uh, help me to to be patient with my lack of understanding of what in the world you're up to, <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, as opposed to do this thing, uh, and so both are welcome. Mm. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. I have noticed that pa- that idea of being patient and faithful in your prayers does give you a chance to see how your prayers have changed, which is a reflection of how He is changing you. Right, right. There's that whole thy will be done part that is sometimes I think absent in my prayers, you know, where it's like I just want I want my will done actually. And I think that when we have these long-term prayers, it 
forces me to recognize that that God that God's will is above my will. It's better than my will. It forces me to submit to that idea and to him specifically, just because it's like, who am I praying to anyway? (laughs) Has anybody ever given to God that God should repay him? You know, who has known the mind of the Lord that we could give him any counsel? So this idea of God being the one who is in charge. And yet, like you said, Andrew, that that's where our hope lies. You know, that's because God is God, because God is good, because he loves us, because he, you know, went to every great length to save us. We can believe that even in those long-term prayers, his plan is better than our plan. And and I appreciate that story about the woman yelling in church. I don't know if I've ever yelled at church, but I definitely have yelled at God before. And I think you're right. I think that that's just part of part of the Psalms and part of the Christian experience. You know, if we're being if we're really being honest, um, mm-hmm. I think God knows we're yelling at Him whether we we are yelling or not when we're mad. All right. Well, I have one last question for you. Practically, is there one thing that you would say we could do to commit to being more faithful in our prayer lives? Like if you could give our audience, our listeners, one piece of advice, who's somebody who's like, man, I just don't pray. I wish I prayed more. It's not my thing. I'm not good at it. I hate praying in front of people, especially. What would you give as like a, a word of advice for somebody like that? We'll start with you, Doug, the the Yoda of prayer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and I'm not particularly fond of praying in front of people if I don't have a written prayer <laughs> that I've already thought through. I would say a practical thing that a person might do is to think through what the existing rhythm of their life is. What are some of the, the things that, that recur on a daily or weekly basis? And to begin to consider what it might mean to try to become mindful in those moments. Like I'll just use the example of in volume one, we have a liturgy for changing diapers. So say if you're a, a parent of a young child and you're in that season when you're changing diapers several times a day, whether it's the prayer from every moment holy or just your own, either that that you come up with or, you know, that's different each time. But just in that moment, as it recurs, rather than just giving a heavy sigh each time and holding your nose and it being <laughs> like, okay, I have to do this again. But letting that be a moment when you recalibrate your heart to remembering the redemption story that we're a part of and the hope that we're moving toward and how this act of service to your child, this small act of sacrificial love, fits in that larger context mm-hmm. of what God has called you to in relation to caring for and nurturing and serving others and, and creating a culture of, of love and, and care that could, over time, make your child one whose heart might be more easily yielded to and receptive to the love of their heavenly father right so i think i think there there is something practical about tying more mindfully those moments when you i mean brother lawrence hundreds of years ago wrote a book called practicing the presence of god and i never read the book but i i like the concept and the phrase so i borrowed it <laughs> um because what he really means by that is god is always present 
right? Mm-hmm. It's what we have to do is practice an ongoing mindfulness of the fact that God is present in each moment and desires to use whatever is happening in and around us in that moment for his purposes, to conform us more to Christ, to build his kingdom, to encourage us in hope. So, yeah, I I would say, you know, find a couple of things that are recurring moments in the rhythm of your life and begin to intentionally use those as catalysts to remind you that God is present in this moment. He desires to use it. And I'm going to pause just briefly here and let my heart be recalibrated in in prayer in relation to my creator as I, you know, do this thing, whatever it is. I love it. I love that. That is so practical. I'm actually thinking as you're talking, I'm like, I should write a liturgy for recording podcasts that I say Mm. to myself and pray before I record podcasts. Like, why don't I do that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, my only thing to add is a very simple thing, which is that I, two things came to mind. One was Brennan Manning. I was at this retreat with Brennan Manning maybe 25 years ago. And, uh, he was talking, you know, a lot of, a lot about these practices mm-hmm. of, you know, obedience, prayer, that kind of stuff. And there was a, a young parent in the crowd. I think it was a mother and she was just kind of exasperated. She was like, I don't have time to do what you're describing. Like, it's all I can do to stay ahead. What, what about yeah. us? You know, what about me? And he said, he thought about it for a second and he was like, well, I would just say that when you're next time you're holding your, your baby and he or she is asleep in your arms, just look at the baby's face and repeat to yourself, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you over and over again. Next question. Mm. And I, I never forgot it. I remember thinking, uh, what a beautiful, simple prayer. Mm-hmm. Abba, I belong to you. Um, so that became something that I said to myself a lot when I was struggling with moments of shame or doubt or whatever. And then the other thing was last year was a really stressful year for a whole lot of reasons. And when I get stressed, I have a hard time sleeping mm-hmm. and uh, tossing and turning anxieties, things kicking around in your head. And so I, I memorized the 23rd Psalm, which, you know, I probably had memorized at church camp as a kid, but I hadn't like relearned it and re- really made myself. And so I started saying the 23rd Psalm at night when I when I was feeling anxious. I would repeat it until I fell asleep. And um, mm-hmm. most nights I didn't finish it. <laughs> uh, most nights I was so comforted by the end of that Psalm that I would wake up the next morning and realize that I didn't remember getting to the end. Some nights I said it 10 times, but, um, and then I, and it went, and I went from uh, praying the 23rd Psalm over and over to taking each line of the 23rd Psalm and asking myself where, where, what moment in the gospels does Jesus represent this line? So the Lord is my shepherd. I would Mm. think, okay, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Okay. I shall not want Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field. And I would go down each Mm. line and and see how that verse prefigured who Jesus is. And again, it was just tremendously helpful. So you're doing it. You've talked about memorizing scriptures that, that, having these things in your mind and, and the, every moment holy, there are short liturgies of the moment at the end of it, all of the books that are specifically for that quick memorization so that you have those things handy uh, when you need them. But if you could start with Abba, I belong to you. That's a great, it, you don't really need much more. <laughs> I agree. My sister Vera, who does dwell differently with me, she always will just say the name Jesus, just mm. Jesus. 
Jesus. And and sometimes it's a it's a longer prayer. But she's like sometimes when it's just really when I'm because she struggles sometimes with anxiety too and and waking up in the night, she'll just say his name. And she's like, it's incredible the power that is just in his name and what it represents and who he is. And and he hears me. And I know he hears me and it and it, that comfort of Jesus, you know, um, is so beautiful. Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining with me today. I love all the things that you're doing. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Andrew Peterson has the Wing Feather Saga, and it is the most amazing kids' book story series. I love it. I love all the pictures. We love the Creaturepedia. If you've got little kids, I'm going to put that in our show notes because I would I would be remiss if I didn't mention. I that. have to say too one one fun tie-in is that uh, you know it's a, the animated series. Um, that we have out, we have season one out. Doug has written quite a few of the scripts for the, for the episodes. Have you he's really? been, yeah, he's written. So Doug has been like intimately involved in the wing feather saga too, which I, I am completely geeked out about. I'm so geeked out about it too. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that you guys released another like uh, stories and I'm like, yes, that's perfect. I can't wait to get that for yeah. my boys. Um, so we are like, right in the deeps of throg right now the very oh, wow. end it is i can't i mean it's like every night they're like can we read the book and i'm like can we read two chapters because i want to know how this ends <laughs> well i am thrilled about that that is so great thank you it's awesome it is awesome thank you for putting these things out in the world you guys you're doing great work uh work that matters and that is so significant for the church um and for little kids who love fiction. So thanks for joining me today. God bless you both and appreciate you. Thanks, Thank Natalie. you, Natalie. Thanks for listening, friends. I have a little public service announcement for you. If you have never been to our website, dwelldifferently.com, you should go over there because we have all kinds of devotional resources there for you. We would just love for you to visit over there. We have year upon year upon year of verses that we have been memorizing. Every month we memorize one new verse. And every month we post at least four devotionals on that verse. So if you're thinking, I'd like to memorize a couple more verses or another verse every month, then that's a great way to do it. So go on over to dwelldifferently.com and check out all of our old resource content. Just go to the devotional page and you can find all kinds of stuff there. It's free and we just would love to help you connect with God in that way. Mm-hmm.